Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Tom Nixon is with me. Hey, Tom. Hey, Jay. It's good to be back. I've been enjoying uh, the episodes where I don't show up but get partial credit. So this is great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I'm looking for a job that has something similar to that. But unfortunately, this podcast isn't uh, isn't paying the bills. No, not not directly. It's not yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. But good to have you back. Yeah, it is good to be back. I'm excited for today's topic. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna dive in and and talk about one meaty topic today that we're calling uh, why your law firm should build a media company. Um, so I think what we're getting at essentially is uh, you know something that I think most law firms recognize already, which is that content marketing, thought leadership marketing, you know, sharing your ideas with an audience is an important component of any marketing strategy. But I think what we're what we're going to advocate for today or at least discuss, um, and people can make their own decision as to whether it makes sense, is pouring some gasoline uh, on that fire and really accelerating what you're doing um, from a content standpoint and not just not just relying upon um, you know, other channels to promote what you're doing, but really building out your own media company, so to speak, um, in a way that makes you the centerpiece of discussion in any industry or or practice. So, um, does that sound good? That sounds good. I would, my only, uh, sort of preface would be that I'm just, I'm taken back Jay to God, maybe a decade or more ago when people like you and I were telling clients at the time to, you need to start thinking like a publisher. This is before mm -hmm. everyone had a blog, right? And there was obviously initial resistance to it. And now, I mean, every law firm website has some form of blog, right? So I think companies are now do think of themselves as publishers but maybe not a media company. And I think this is taking that initial kind of mindset and necessarily evolving it to like a 2.0 or a 3.0. And I do think that's what's necessary in the modern media environment. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if you sell expertise, you've got to showcase it. And I think one of the things, one of the factors that's changed since we started talking about thinking of yourself and your organization as a publisher is that there's been a real disintermediation of media, right? I mean, it used to be, okay, there were the the big media companies, they were the gatekeepers, you had to play ball, like you ever had to fight tooth and nail to get mentioned. You were trying to leverage like traditional PR and and um in and you know, kind of looking for opportunities to um publish elsewhere. And I think all those things are important as we'll talk about um and remain important, but there's been this disintermediation, meaning people are looking at a bunch of different places, not just the the old, you know, gold standard media companies as as people saw it um, for information. There's, you know, podcasts have emerged, obviously. Um, uh, Substack newsletters, like there's all these different sources of information. Um, so I think that the um, social media, obviously, um, there's there's opportunities for existing businesses to position themselves as media companies, as the go-to source for information um, for what, you know, is what is the subject matter expertise that they have internally. And I think that that really the environment we're in, we're in a moment where I think this is ripe and it, the, the opportunity is ripe. 
True. Yes. And influence has been decentralized, meaning like back in quote unquote our day, if you were to get um, some visibility on some well-established media platform, that was like the, you know, the Holy grail. Right. But mm-hmm. n- now people don't rely only on a handful of media outlets in a given industry or even just the general media as the go-to source. And people I think are willing to consume content and maybe even prefer it over a, a niche sort of content environment and not necessarily the mass media that we used to just fight tooth and nail to get exposure in. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, okay. So I, I thought it might be helpful because we're talking about something a little bit theoretical or hypothetical in terms of what it might look like if a law firm was to execute the strategy. And it might be helpful to ground that and contextualize that with a real world example. And so um, one one that's probably uh, the most recent and and perhaps the most prominent is um, the, the strategy currently being executed by A16Z. And A16Z, uh, probably most people will be more familiar with Andreessen Horowitz, the well-known venture capital firm um, run by Mark Andreessen and and Ben Horowitz. And they made a conscious decision uh, to execute a strategy back in 2021 um, and to establish a media brand called Future. And their stated intention was to become the, quote, go-to place for entrepreneurs and tech news. So what they've been doing ever since then is really trying to build themselves out and establish themselves as that go-to place. And it's not just about, you know, putting out periodic blog posts um, written by their, you know, their venture capitalists. It's it's a multi-pronged strategy and a big investment behind it to to again become that go-to place. Because I think the 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 um, idea underlying the strategy is if we can become the go to, go to place for entrepreneurs and and information related to tech news, well then naturally, you know, founders who are looking for investments will will think of us. We'll be top of mind. We'll be building trust because we'll be helping them with you know valuable information, and we'll as a result of that be able to get on more companies' cap tables uh, with investments. And so. It's a different context. It's a different industry, but you can see, you know, how a law firm would potentially want to be um, in a similar position of becoming the go-to resource for information for a particular industry or related to the issues that affect a particular particular practice group. Um, and so, A16Z, what does that look like in practical terms? Well, they're, um, you know, they've they've really expanded the number of podcasts they're publishing, um, the amount of uh, thought leadership content they're producing. Um, They've really just amped up their social media efforts. They've been trying to position their leadership and other individuals within their VC firm as thought leaders who are out front on on these types of issues. And they've been doing it really well. Interestingly, um, they've also been hiring outside voices and inviting outside voices to contribute to the to the media company. So this is not a closed ecosystem of all A16Z viewpoints. They've got podcasts hosted by people who are essentially, I, I don't know if they're technically employees of the organization or not, but they were brought in specifically to start a podcast and host a podcast for their group. There's a um, a woman named Steph Smith that I, that I know of. Um, I used to uh, follow her, um, I still do on, on Twitter, 
and or X, and also um, her podcast she had, they they brought her in to host one of their podcasts specifically. So you're starting to see these outside voices who already have an audience and already have a following um, who they're leveraging uh, as part of their organization as a result. So it's it's multifaceted, it's multidimensional. Um, it's also, um, you know, taking a point of view, which I think is an important thing. It's not just, it's not just describing what's happening. It's they're, they're adding their unique take and analysis, um, at the forefront of all of the thought leadership content they're producing in that sense, they're becoming more of a media company. Yeah. And that is that latter part about bringing in outside voices is specifically what I was thinking of when I talked about the evolution from thinking like a publisher 1.0 to thinking like a media company 2.0 or even 3.0. I mean, it's getting those outside voices, which does a number of things. So remember, if you're thinking like a publisher solely and you have this blog, as you mentioned, this is your, your own firm's voices. And that's good as far as it goes, but it, it will, uh, it doesn't bring with it the sort of confidence inspiring gravitas that when you bring in external voices it's not just us talking about how great we are in our services you're truly serving the audience and it does the things that you mentioned it brings in that third person that third party's center of influence as well into your environment but it, again it validates the voices and it, it establishes the firm as um serving an audience as opposed to serving their own interests i think so that's the first mindset is to think or mindset shift is to think through who else would we bring into this into this media, this content creation environment that would align with, but not just echo our own viewpoints? I think that's number one. The second thing is, is just going back to like starting at the beginning. Why would you do this? It's very simple. And I just wanted to read back Mark Anderson's words it, it, very early on. He said, the thought process was, if you're an engineer or an entrepreneur trying to build something fundamentally new, we want you to come to us because we're the people who understand this stuff. It's very simple, but that is something that's trust and that's notoriety and uh, recognition that has to be earned over the long term. You can't just be professed on an about us page on your website. And that's what this the strategy, I think, establishes. And it will take time, but it's so organic and so authentic, especially when you're bringing in those third party voices, that it's almost it's practically um, unassailable. It's going to be very hard. In other words, if you get if you establish the foothold, it's going to be very difficult for a competitor to come in and take a significant market share away because you will have done it first and you will have done it best. Yeah, yeah, and and it's you know that I think in in VC terms that that would be called building a moat. Um, and I think this can be a powerful moat, right? If you right. if you become the epicenter of conversation and discussion and ideas around a particular topic or industry, well, then that's that's powerful positioning uh, for your law firm. So yeah, I real agree. quick, Jay. Yeah. Uh, so like you might want to share the other part. I wanted to bring in. Is to, so if somebody's thinking, all right, who would I start bringing in? I have uh, one client who is just now bringing in the perspectives of their clients and even their prospects. So that's mm -hmm. a. It's a good place to start because it's familiar territory. You probably already know how a lot of these people think and who would be a good source. But the other thing that this is going to do is it's going to create a conduit for you to either strengthen relationships that you have with clients or prospects or build new relationships with prospects and either third party or referrals or it's just the general world that might not otherwise exist right it's we always talk about how it's awkward to send an email hey can i pick your brain because that sounds like okay here comes the pitch but it's hey would you like to contribute to this content community this media company that we're creating it's just a totally different paradigm and of course it's very welcomed and flattering by the recipient and it's just it's a great way to establish relationships 
even inside of all the other benefits that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll get into that a little bit more um, when we're talking about, you know, kind of what's required to execute this. But really, yeah, I mean, from a mindset standpoint, it requires uh, a long term viewpoint and a an abundance mindset. Right. You, you can't be you can't be a law firm that's scared of, quote, giving away, you know, the secret sauce. Um, because you know, that, that secret sauce is already out there. Um, and you, you're going to be able to add to the conversation, but you know, to the extent that you can, you can put more secret sauce out there. Yeah. I think it'll position you as, as the true expert in the space is, which is what most positioning and and branding is all, um, focused on doing anyway. So it's your ideal clients aren't looking for the secret sauce so they could go and steal it and implement it themselves. What they want to do is they want to find somebody who has the secret sauce and have the confidence that when they hire that person, the problems already have solved because this person is such an expert. So, yeah, yeah. do not be afraid to share, quote unquote, the secret sauce. It's not so yeah. secret. 100 percent. I mean, we always say if, if it's the type of client that's going to try to do it themselves anyway, based on information you share online, well, it's probably not the type of client you wanted in the first place. So exactly. um, so that's a good it's actually a good you know way to repel wrong fit clients um, is putting putting your ideas out there. So um, just a couple other examples uh, beyond A16Z that people can think about. I think McKinsey fits this bill of Definitely. like having built a media company. I mean, there you see. Um, in in traditional media all the time, sources and statistics and studies and viewpoints from McKinsey cited as like the gold standard for you know what's happening within a particular industry. So that they've done that very well. And and frankly, from a from a hiring standpoint, I know it. I, I think this is still true. It certainly was in the past. But they have a dedicated person. I think in the past they were called the director of thought leadership or something along those lines. They're they're hiring for and building their team around this strategy and. Um, and I, you know, when we get to what's required, I mean, that's a piece of the puzzle. I think PwC is another good example of this, right? They've they've done a really good job developing original research, which is a component of this. Um, and and be, again, when you see a company's, um, you know, thought leadership and studies and original research being cited by the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, that means they've they've really established themselves as a trusted media source, um, as opposed to just a, a business trying to sell services. And I think LinkedIn is also another good example of a business that is um, really focused on creating content and becoming the go-to source for information for a particular audience. In this case, um, you know, they, they're they're doing studies and publishing tons of content about hiring and trends in the in in terms of hiring and firing and retention and all of those things, as well as um, on uh, content creation, right? Because what what are they trying to do? They're trying to get people to advertise jobs on LinkedIn, and they're trying to get individuals to create and post content on LinkedIn. So you can see how they're. Um, they're, they themselves are executing a, a media strategy in order to help um, arm people with the resources that they need to understand what's happening, why they should be doing something, why it's valuable. I mean, the LinkedIn Edelman Thought Leadership Study is a good example of that, right? I mean, again, you see content creators all the time making the case for more content creation, citing you know LinkedIn's original research on that issue. So those are some other, I guess, additional examples. There's many others, but I think those are ones to the extent that you're interested in exploring, like who else is doing this? I think between A16Z, McKinsey, PwC, and LinkedIn, you've got a good starting point for kind of understanding what we're talking about. 
Yep. And in the case of McKinsey, for example, it's true of maybe all of them, but like you, you, there's no questioning, even just citing the source is the self-evident, right? It's like, I don't have mm-hmm. to explain to you who McKinsey is and why you should care, right? Because they've done such a great job over time establishing that authority. It's like, there's some, there's a certain amount of um, uh, sophistication just being just by quoting source McKinsey or PwC. Um, yeah. And then the other example in our world, Jay, would probably be HubSpot. Mm-hmm. So HubSpot's yeah. created, I mean, they are in the content marketing business just de facto. So they've created a, a content machine all their own. And some of the best, for example, in this case, I find some of the best eBooks or, you know, whatever you want to call those lead magnet type things. Um, HubSpot's excellent. And it's like the first place I go, or what does HubSpot have on this? So totally. Um, well, and, and beyond that, I mean, that, that's a great example, Tom. And, and one that's something that I'm, I'm very close to in the sense of as a consumer of their content, um, they, uh, for example, um, they're building out a podcast network, um, acquiring mm-hmm. popular podcasts. Um, one is uh, one that I listen to quite frequently that's hosted by, uh, co-hosted by the founder of The Hustle newsletter, yes. which they bought. Um, they bought that maybe two years ago. And Sam Parr is uh, the host of one of their most popular podcasts. It's called My First Million. It's more of a, it's just a business podcast where um, founders are interviewed and and the two hosts talk about business ideas. But you know they went out and made a big multi-million dollar investment uh, to buy that newsletter, which reaches millions of people every morning on a daily basis, um, as well as the the podcasts that those guys were were running. And so they've got an entire network now of similar type podcasts. So I mean they're they're becoming, um, as you alluded to, you know, the, in the marketing world, probably the go to source for information. And and they not only built their own media assets, but they're going out and acquiring other people that weren't part of the HubSpot organization to begin with, but they saw the power of having a direct channel to their audience um, and sharing inf- valuable information with that audience. Yep. They're willing to sprint through some of the acquisitions, right? Into invest. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So um, if there's anyone that's going to convince you that content is a great way to serve an audience, it's them. And so they're practicing what they preach. It's interesting. So I, same with here. You're like they are a center of influence for me. It's like the, they're the go-to source. It, yeah. and, and maybe there's a good point in there too. too. They, they, I don't believe that they are trying to serve everyone, though I think that they are getting eyeballs. They're trying to serve content marketers who are in the mm-hmm. business of buying their product, and but they never sell to you. You know, so um, going back to the mindset is think about, again, who you're looking to serve. And as you always say, start with the narrow audience as possible, the minimum viable audience. Um, start there and just serve the audience, serve the audience. Don't serve yourself. Don't serve some end goal other than serving that audience. And I think you're going to be on the right track. Yeah. All right. So if if you're a law firm leader and you're thinking, OK, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm generally interested in this concept, at least it's intrigued me enough and I'm curious about it. Um, so what would that look like for a law firm? Well, I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious, you know, you have to kind of, every firm's a little bit different, but this would not be, you know, a full service law firm trying to build like one comprehensive and holistic media strategy that covers everything. I think it needs to be more of a niche strategy where you're thinking about like, all right, is there a practice group or industry group that we could leverage this strategy for? So, you know, for example, you know, do you do you serve the private equity community? Well, it seems like a ripe opportunity to go out and build and try to become the go-to resource of information for the private equity world. And and I, I don't think that's an unrealistic 
ambition either. I mean, I'm, you know, I have enough clients that are that are um, focused on on PE that I'm familiar with the media landscape in that space. I mean, there are there's a lot out there, you know, for the PE world. It's a very valuable industry and and audience, but it's again, it's sort of disintermediated. I mean, I can't if you were to say like, what's the go-to resource for the private equity equity world? Someone, you know, a partner who focuses on that practice at Kirkland might be able to say, well, yeah, I I, I might be able to answer that question, but. To me, I don't. I don't think it necessarily exists, and I think there's an opportunity for law, a law firm to step into that void. Um, so, you know, th- this is an example: uh, renewable energy. I mean, that's another area many firms are focused on. It's a it's a very sort of scattershot, you know, media landscape in that space. FinTech. I mean, go down the list. Name almost any industry. I think there's an opportunity there for a law firm that serves that industry, that has a lot of thought leaders and expertise in the area to invest and at least become competitive in that landscape, if not dominate it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, some of the examples that you cited earlier, they were going into what you might be tempted to think of as sort of these, um, you know, red ocean sort of uh there's a lot of content creators already in certain spaces or whatever. So you could be yep. tempted to be like, ah, it's already been done. But I, I, in most industries, especially emerging, you know, industries like some of the ones that you mentioned, it, it's just, there's not a stronghold in, there isn't going to be necessarily only one, you know, I think the mm-hmm. example that you is, 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 um, of a 16 Z, for example, they took a startup mentality to creating this, this media company. Mm-hmm. And I think there that's where, you know, if you think like a startup, at least in this endeavor, you get all this unique energy that might not exist, even if there are these sort of industry stalwarts, like private equity magazine that's been around forever, but maybe they're not doing this with the right energy, the multimedia approach, the specific niche in terms of who they're serving and how they're serving them. And so I feel like it's more of a, there's more blue ocean there than there is red ocean. And I'm assuming people get that metaphor, Jay. Yeah, no, I I think they do. Um, opportunity versus crowded, uh, overcrowded space, basically. Yeah. Um, white space versus uh, black space, or whatever <laughs> the yeah. right the right description is. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and and you know, I mean, yeah, you can see it. You can see it happen in real time if you pay attention. So, like, even in the in the cryptocurrency space, uh, not necessarily legal cryptocurrency issues, but um, a couple years ago. Uh, a, a, a guy, a couple guys started uh, a newsletter called The Milk Road. Um, it was a, like a five day a week crypto newsletter. And it grew to, you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers, like within, you know, a 12 to 18 month period. They ended up selling the newsletter for millions of dollars. But like they, they'd emerged from nothing um, and became the dominant, if not, or, or at a minimum, one of the dominant voices in that space that were, uh, you know, that were was seen as reliable, trustworthy, and a go-to source for information. So it it does take a long-term view, but it you know it can happen pretty quickly if you invest in it. And this was just a small operation of a few guys. I mean, this was not a large organization, and and they were able to stake out that ground. So um, so I think you know there's lots of examples. I guess is the point. All right, so. So if we were to transition here to say, okay, are there a few things, you know, if you were going down the road of exploring this sort of strategy, like what, what would be required? Like what, what are some of the key aspects of thinking through this? And we've, we've touched on a little bit of this, but we'll reiterate it here. Um, But I think first and foremost, um, it, you know, it it really is going to be something that, that kind of has to be 
um, have a lot of buy-in at the top. So leadership, right? It, this is gonna. This is not something that can just be, uh, you know, another bullet point on a you know twenty-page marketing plan that you know one person is is supposed to to execute. This needs to be a firm-wide, or, or in this case, probably an industry group or practice group um, focused effort with with buy-in and and leadership at the top. Um, on the issue. And and it does, again, it, that long-term abundance mindset uh, kind of approach to it where it's not going to happen, probably not going to happen, you know, super quickly, but, you know, you got to give it some runway in order to um, build out the assets, you know, refine the strategy, like get people on board, um, all of that. Um, and, it, and as a result, it, it's going to require an investment too, right? You have to be um, part of leadership is putting resources behind something. So, um, you know, in terms of possibly bringing in talent, right? You might have to hire and and kind of rethink uh, the the assets you have in place within your marketing department. Um, the ability to bring in and invest in outside voices perhaps is another area. And then training, right? We You're going to have to have to rely upon your subject matter experts to be able to think a little differently about how they create content. And again, it's not just about, you know, what happened, but the implications of that information and thinking more like a media company doing analysis as opposed to, you know, um, a content marketer who's who's sharing information. So I think that's that's really um, one step in the process. Oh, and then one other, I mean, from a strategic standpoint, as we think about this first, um, this first step in the process, I, I do think you need to think like A16Z and really define a goal and around what is your go-to topic? You know, what is it that you want to become known for as the go-to resource? So I think that's an important strategic consideration as well at a high level. Yeah. And just because I, you, I don't want to say you glossed over it, but you mentioned it quickly and then moved on. I think it bears repeating that what we're not talking about is creating a news company. It's mm-hmm. creating a media company. And there's a distinction there. The news company will tell you what happened. The media company is, is in the business of analysis and context. So I, I still find a lot of content developers wanting to lead with the, you know, this is what happened. This was the ruling. This is, you know, what was decided, or this is what the jury, like people, by the time they get to your media company are going to understand what happened, what they want to understand is why and what it means to me. So that was um, one of the things I wanted to emphasize, just the the mindset is that it's analysis and not news. And then the other thing is just in terms of, I think it does require um, this mindset of long-term commitment and being okay with it because this is not something that is going to really generate ROI in the first three months or maybe even six months. And the the tangible ROI may not even be detectable and let's say five years just to be conservative right five years seems like a long time and a lot to invest right Mm -hmm. but if you think back to something that happened to you five years ago in the year 2018 if you think of it and then you're like god that was just yesterday taking my daughter to eighth grade yeah that was just yesterday well what if just tomorrow you were the dominant voice in this specific niche industry and people came to you the way that they're going to AZ-16, right? It's like five years seems like a long time and a lot of time to invest for something to pay off, but it's a heartbeat. So you got to have this mentality. We're going to start now and we're going to stick to it and commit to it because it's the 2.0 of something that we, I I bet both law firms were reticent to start a blog 10, 12 years ago, right? And now they all have them, right? Yeah. Uh, The problem is they all kind of look the same. And that's what we're Mm -hmm. talking about is how do you stand out? Yeah, exactly. 
Um, well, one way to stand out, this would be the second principle, would be making sure that in this process, you're putting your people up front, right? Again, I think in general, a rule of thumb is that, you know, especially when consuming content uh, online in particular, uh, people, your your audience is not necessarily looking to hear from your law firm. They're looking to hear from the people who make up the law firm. So um, this would be uh, an effort to really be showcasing your experts. And I know, you know that every law firm probably thinks this way, but really unleashing them to become um, you know, true thought leaders in their space, like creating content, um, hot takes on, on social media, um, you know, being out front in their in the podcasts uh, that that you're doing, um, bringing in outside experts and voices. Right, your people are think of your people as the people who have influence over the audience you're trying to reach, not just the people within your law firm. So, how can you collaborate and showcase other experts in order to create that brand association between your firm? the ideas you're sharing and the types of problems you solve for the audience you're hoping to serve. So I think people up front is another important principle here. Yeah. And uh, just a quick take on that too, because uh, I have a, a client that's uh, embarking on something of a, a different, not a different, but a, a, a complimentary tack, which is they have a young person who's very, you know, she has a ton of promise, but not this long resume. And, but, but she's a great thought leader and they want to establish her as a thought leader with the sort of hesitance that, well, she's so young, is anyone going to believe mm -hmm. she's a thought leader? Mm -hmm. And I talked to her and she said, well, that's okay, because my brand voice is curiosity. And mm -hmm. what I do is I express my curiosity about certain issues that I'm learning about. And what she finds is that the client, the prospect is equally curious mm -hmm. because they're not experts, right? And the, so yep. they, they find her in many cases and they relate to her because they share her curiosity and she's sort of shepherding them along the journey to find the expertise that they need. So just the reason I point that out yeah. is don't think that it has to be all of your partner level, super mm -hmm. busy people who won't maybe not have time. You can kind of sprinkle in a diversity of voices. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, again, the, the the currency here is attention. And, you know, online, you know, it doesn't need to be always the, you know, the foremost expert with all of the credentials. In fact, you know, that that can be, uh, that's sometimes not all that interesting. I mean, those types of people are oftentimes struggle the most to share content that resonates with other people. I mean, we have you know, every law firm now, and I think they recognize this. I mean, their younger people are native to you know, social media and and everything else, and and they know how to create content that resonates with people. Um, leverage those skills and that expertise. I mean, it might need some guidance on how to do that effectively for what your underlying goals are. But I mean, the the skill set of of generating intention online uh, is is truly a skill, and and you should leverage those those talents and resources um, for sure. So great point, Absolutely. Tom. Um, Okay, so third, you know, you need to think about and invest in building your own channels. So um, again, you know, what is it? This this is a strategic question as well as a, requires tactical execution and, and investment. But um, you know, think in terms of the audience you're trying to reach. You know, what are their preferences uh, in terms of consuming content, and what where is their white space or blue ocean that exists within the existing media? 
um, ecosystem or landscape um, in, in the industry, for example, that you're trying to reach. So, you know, it might be, it's probably going to be multi-channel, um, but, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to go about it. And it might be some or all of these things, whether that be podcasts, you know, written long form content, a really um, ambitious social media effort, uh, video content, hosting a conference, uh, perhaps, um, and original research. And there's more, but I mean, those are just some examples. Perhaps it's writing the, um, you know, the go-to book on this topic. You know, we've seen that, uh, that's kind of perceived sometimes as old school, but it still can be very effective if there's a void in the, in the knowledge base on a topic that would merit a book, well, that's part, that could be part of your media strategy. So, so think in terms of channels of distribution it, and, and how you know, to blend and kind of develop a Venn diagram between you know, what your capabilities and talents are as a firm um, in terms of producing content, what the preferences are of the audience you're trying to reach, and like, what are the gaps in the current media landscape, and you know, figure out how you, you can fit into that puzzle um, through your own media assets. Yeah, you just triggered a memory, but not entirely. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of one of our very earliest guests on this podcast that created a healthcare conglomerate media. It was a Scott Baker. Scott Becker. Scott Becker. Becker. Yep. I was mm -hmm. close. I was yep. close. Yep. Yeah. So just started with a simple newsletter, which turned yep. into a magazine, which turned mm -hmm. into a conference and the yep. whole kit and caboodle. And I would say if he were here, he would say this it didn't happen overnight, but his commitment to staying true to serving that distinct audience is what helped him to not only build his practice, but build a, a media company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a great example. Uh, thanks for resurfacing that, Tom. Um, and then next, we talked about this quite a bit, so I won't belabor the point. But um, again, focus on not what happened, but uh, an analysis and a take, having a point of view. Um, that's going to be required because otherwise, you know, it's just more noise. Yeah, absolutely. I won't belabor it either. Yeah. And then <laughs> even though it's worth belaboring. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think we've touched on that in a few different times. Um, and then finally, while you're focused on building your own media company, um, you also need to continue to focus on investing in and building relationships in the existing media ecosystem too, right? So, you know, the the you want to be in a position like a McKinsey, right, where you're you're developing expertise and reputation, and you're creating valuable content such that you're seen as the expert so that other other people that are involved in the, in the media landscape that you're participating in see you as a firm and your um, people uh, as as expert sources for information. Um, so this is not about you know sort of carving out your own space and and ignoring the rest of the world and trying to compete it away. It's like becoming a collaborator in that space and a good citizen that's building relationships in order to amplify what you're trying to do. And, and I think that you know, A16Z is, is definitely doing this um, effectively. And they, they've explicitly made that point that this is not about trying to displace anyone in the, in the existing landscape. It's about um, becoming a partner and a participant in it um, as a result of what they're doing. Yeah. Great point. And that was the point I was trying to make, but maybe didn't do as well as you just did there, is that you don't necessarily have to steal the entire audience or, or of some other platform to do this well. You're going to establish a voice, maybe hopefully a unique voice in a certain segment of that huge pool 
will gravitate towards you in addition to what they're already consuming. So um, that's the first step. So knowing, again, going back to speaking of belaboring, who you're serving and staying committed to serving them, not marketing to them, but serving them, and they will they will find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's uh, that wraps it up on why your law firm should build a media company or at least give it some serious thought, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the examples are, you know, sometimes when you use the example of a McKinsey or a LinkedIn, sometimes that can be intimidating to maybe a midsize firm say, well, mm-hmm. we'll never be. And that's not the point. We're bringing up those examples because the listeners already understand who these companies are and they, they can draw the lines and connect the dots. Say, oh, yes, I see how they did that. That's what we're suggesting that you do either at a scale that's more appropriate to the level of your firm or just with maybe, you know, in other words, I guess what the point I'm trying to make is mm-hmm. don't sort of self filter out um, your ability to do this well be- with the assumption that, well, I'll never be McKinsey or I'll never be PwC because that's not the point we're making. Yeah. And, and to take that one step further, if you're an individual, you've got a, you've got the ability to reach millions of people through your content. Um, you know, and 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 do so on social media or and through other channels. So it's 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 yes, we're talking about doing this on a large scale from an organizational standpoint. But as we've said many times before, like you know, individuals can have just as big of a voice online, um, which is a a powerful opportunity for anyone, um, even one person, to think in these terms and think of staking them, them themselves out as the go-to source of information on a particular channel, for example. Yep. And I'm going to give you some extra homework, Jay. Just, I think we should link to, to that point. Let's link to in the show notes, the Scott Becker episode, because mm-hmm. he'll walk you through exactly how he, a single person did just this. And yep. now it's, it does not look like a single person, the operation he's got. So yeah, perfect example. All right, cool. Well, uh, that's the episode. So Tom, good to uh, chat with you as always. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us and look out next week for another episode. Will I be back, Jay? Did I pass the audition? Yeah, you're you're back in. Yes. <laughs> you're back in. I heard you're making so much money off of it. I just, yeah. All right. No, now we just got to come up with a good, good topic for next week. All right. I'll do it. All cool. right. See you then. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.